The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the hosts and represent no other individual, organisation or entity. I'll begin with saying happy birthday, Adam. Thank you, Roger. Yes, I had a birthday this week on Tuesday. I'm now 23 years old. I ended up celebrating with like an interview at the pizza and I also did a track session as well in the morning. What an awesome, busy and great day to well, spend your birthday. The interview wasn't the great, because it was about one hour, 50 minutes or whatever, so that wasted loads of my time. You listened to our last show as well, didn't you? The, I did. What about Armistice Day? Yeah, I um, did that as well. We had a little bump in listeners for that, I'm pleased mm. to say. Thank you to everyone who listened. Yeah. One of my colleagues at work, who will, would probably want to remain nameless at, the, at this stage, said he listened to it as well. So, cheers to him. Thank you. And because it has been your birthday, I'm raising a glass to you, Adam, because I'm not driving anywhere tomorrow. I'm actually having a drink tonight. I'm on the Copperberg Spiced Apple Cider. Cheers. Cheers. I'm just drinking water. Mm. Oh, this is the first alcoholic drink I've had in about three months. Let's hope it doesn't affect me too much. It shouldn't. It's a very weak cider. Yeah, and you said you've got something to show me or something to show the uh, listeners. Yes, because it has been your birthday. I've got a birthday present for you. I'm oh, not able you. to give it you in person until next week, but I'll give it to you. I have got for you, Adam, some essential reading. I've mentioned it on the podcast before. Two books by George Orwell, Animal Farm and 1984. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I would recommend reading Animal Farm first. Animal Farm then first. Then once that gets you hooked, 1984, because that's the, the hard stuff. Really interesting stuff that will change the way you look at the world. <laughs> we'll see about that, but yeah, well, uh, I'll give them a go and I'll let you know what I think of them probably in a few months' time once I've had time to read them. <laughs> I never heard of George Orwell, but I read the first chapter of Animal Farm and once I'd read the first chapter, I was hooked in and I read the whole book in one day. Really? <laughs> so I'm hoping the same thing happens to you. I'm not a quick I know, reader, but yeah. Yeah, I know you're a very selective and not a quick reader, but it's definitely worth a good look yeah, at. Yeah, I'll have a good look at it. And it's been a busy news week and we're currently on the 18th of the 11th, 2023, which obviously is a Saturday, so that means it's a park run day. I went to Bowling Park up near you today and I got 20.26. Now I was disappointed about that because my PB I think was in March time before and I got 20.24. That's when I actually won won there. But yeah, I was two seconds slower than my PB time. I haven't done hill reps for a bit because we've been doing a lot of flat ones and we've been doing track rather than hill reps because we were intending to go to Brighouse today but they've called it off because there was a lot of mud because they've been doing some work on it, so they've called that one off. I went to bowling today, and there were a lot of leaves on the ground, dog walkers, which I had to dodge. There were also a lot of muddy puddles as well, so obviously that will slow me down a little bit. But yeah, I wasn't too happy with the time today. I still think you're doing really well to just get out there in this cold weather and complete these runs, and you're coming 
fifth place out of I think this was seventy odd people. Yeah, I think it was seventy five people, but yeah, it wasn't the best. And I have had better runs in the past. If I'd have gone to Harton today, I'd have won it because I checked the person that came first did it in over twenty one minutes, so I'd have won that one if I'd have gone there today. But like I say, it all just depends on where I go. We like to mix it up a little bit. Harton is my regular one, by the way, but decided to go to bowling for a change. It's definitely a good idea to have variety and keep pushing yourself. If you are winning runs regularly, then you need to start trying harder runs, don't you? I'm very rarely winning runs. I think it was months ago since the last time I've won one. True, so not a problem you have to face yet, but someone did once give me advice that if you're in a group of people and you're the best at whatever that group are doing then you should find a new group of people because otherwise you're never going to improve and get better. But you are improving and getting better, Adam. So I'm not. I got worse today, so I wouldn't necessarily call that improving. I bet if we graphed your times and took the average, it'd definitely be going up as average, a trend. yeah, over a trend, yeah, maybe. But like I say, it just depends on how I run each week. Like I say, some days I might just feel better than others. It just depends on the day how I feel. Well, I'm feeling pretty good this week. A bit tired. There's been a couple of days where I've burned the candle at both ends because I've been working overtime at the community radio station Mm. and at work because for three days in the upcoming week, I'm out of Bradford. I'm on a residential with work up at Ingleborough in the middle of nowhere. Is that this week or is that last week? It's this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm. And it's going to be absolutely brilliant. It always is when we take kids out on these experiences. But And it looks like it's, it's going to be dry weather at the end of this week as well, so that's good. Yeah, but it's a tiring experience and one that I need to be prepared for, so I need to look after myself for the next four days or so. Yeah, well, good luck with that, and I hope you do, and I'm going to say that I'm going to edit you this podcast because whilst I'm waiting to start my new job I haven't really got an awful lot to do so I am going to do the honours this week so I'm happy to do that but before we go any further Roger I think you've got the first article haven't you this week well thank you first of all Adam and I'll try my best not to cough or stutter as much (laughs) but I certainly feel a lot more cheery about the news this week we've had an interesting and fun news week that hasn't had quite as much but there is a lot of awful stuff happening so we've tried to bring a mix of it in today's show as ever if you've got any feedback or want to contribute articles or ideas for what you'd like me and adam to talk about you can email us at breakthenewspod at gmail.com please Yep, we are waiting for an email, official email rather than an advertisement. But you've got the latest of what's going on in Gaza right now, haven't you? Yeah, I do still think Gaza is the biggest story overall. So I've had a look at the BBC News summary just before we started to record. And the focus right now is very much on the Israeli forces who are attacking slash searching slash having an operation in whatever kind of perspective you want to phrase it with the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza. And this operation in the Al-Shifa hospital has resulted in hundreds of people leaving that hospital and images depict Palestinians leaving on foot, some waving white flags. A journalist reported gunfire explosions and bulldozers creating large holes in the hospital yard. 
Israel alleges that Hamas operates a command centre under the hospital, presenting images of a purported tunnel shaft and weapons as evidence. In northern Gaza, a UN school used as a shelter has reportedly been hit, with Israel investigating the claims. The Hamas-run health ministry claims over 12,000 people have been killed since Israel began its campaign against Hamas, triggered by the October 7th attacks in which Hamas killed over 1,200 people and took more than 200 hostage in Israel. Israel forces entering a hospital. Adam, what do you think? I think this revenge attack's going on for a while, but at the same time, I believe Hamas is still attacking, so I'm not really sure what Israel can really do. It's a bit grim, isn't it, to see a hospital under attack And right now the evidence that there actually is a Hamas command centre in there is sketchy to say the least. Yep, I agree. Like I said, it's not good and there were actually a massive vote on this in Parliament this week where literally all the Conservative MPs voted against the ceasefire. Obviously there were some that abstained but that could just be because they're not there as well. But the biggest division was actually in the Labour Party where Keir Starmer called on them to abstain but I think there were 56 MPs that voted for a ceasefire. I don't know what you thought of that. I think whatever language is used, whether it's a humanitarian pause or a ceasefire, both sides need to pack it in. Hamas reportedly using, and I think there has been some evidence to back that up, humanitarian structures like refugee camps, hospitals and schools as operation centres, you know, using innocent people as human shields is awful. And the attack that they did on Israel is awful, and so is taking the hostages. But at the same time, Israel's hell-bent and seemingly fury-driven counter-attack is awful as well. Yet it's horrible. Yeah, I agree, it is horrible, but like I say, I don't think these votes really matter in Parliament anyway, because whatever they vote for is not going to affect what happens in the war, is it? No, and it seems that both sides are hell-bent on the destruction of the other, and this has been going on for a long, long time now. It's not just been news of the last three months. In the time we've been doing this podcast, it's been an issue twice. But do you think it's got the potential to cause some big problems within the Labour Party? I'm not saying that the Conservatives can gain support by any means, but do you think it's got the potential to do a lot of damage to the Labour Party with how divided the Labour Party looks on this issue? Yes, but it doesn't seem to have affected them so far in terms of voting intention. Well, that's true, although I did see one from We Think, which actually showed Labour's lead drop. I think I shared it with you the other day. Yesterday, I think that poll came out, and that was the latest one, and that one was actually published and gathered. The fieldwork was actually after that Labour's vote, so that does suggest that, surely, that it has actually had an impact in voter intention. But I'm waiting for opinion, because the more polling companies that go in a particular direction then you know which way things are going i'm going to find it very hard to vote for any party that supports any solution other than peace when it comes to the israel gaza conflict but the only parties that uh, supported peace in terms of that was actually the lib dems and the greens but even so 
by supporting peace, you're not going to fix the problem, are you? There seems to be a belief that supporting peace through something like a ceasefire is aligned with supporting Hamas. And I don't want to take a side on this. I've said that before on the podcast and I still stand by that, though I'm trying to inform myself more and more and more every day, as much as I can anyway. Yeah, I haven't really looked at this news a lot in the last week. I've had more important things to do and I've also been very interested in the inflation news this week. I know you've got something else, but if it's okay for me to move on, this was a very big story this week. Um, Yeah, of course. Because no one actually used this word, but he has actually, officially, exceeded his target on reducing inflation. He's more than halved it, and he's done it two months earlier. So UK inflation dropped sharply in October to a two-year low of 4.6%, primarily due to lower energy prices. The government claims to have met its pledge to have inflation by year-end ahead of schedule. The main contributors to the decline are a drop in the energy price cap and the Bank of England's decision to raise interest rates to temper demand and slow price increases. However, economists note that ministers have limited control over inflation reduction and the cost of living. Crisis persists with energy bills still a concern. Despite the fall, the UK has not reached the Bank of England's 2% inflation target and remains higher than other countries, including the US, France and Germany. What did you make of this news? It actually dropped, I think, from 6.6% to 4.6%, a whole 2% drop. It's good news, and I, for once, agree with Laura Koonsberg when she says this is what is going to make the main difference for the Conservative Party if they want to save themselves. I've noticed quite a number of reductions in prices in my supermarket shop because the retailers are less worried about inflation to protect their profits. So we're seeing good signs here that will help the Conservative Party if it's sustained. Yeah, and just because the inflation's fallen, it's because this time last year, in October, there were a 2% rise just in that month. This year, in October... We've got a 0% rise, so that's the reason why inflation has actually fallen from 6.6% to 4.6%. So it's really, more than anything, it's just because of last year's rise was so high. And this year we haven't had any rise in that time, so at least Richie Sunak appears to have brought inflation to a halt. It's a glimmer, glimmer, glimmer of hope for them, but it's very small and I don't think it's going to counteract 12 years of inefficiency and lies and greed and moral bankruptcy. And now David Cameron is back. Yeah. What did you actually make of the news of the cabinet reshuffle? I'm just baffled by it. I said on the last podcast what the Conservative Party need are new faces, new thinking a chance to show that they have learned lessons and they want to start a new narrative. And then they bring back David Cameron, the guy who desperately didn't want Brexit, but at the same time completely enabled it. 
Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to mention my thoughts on this reshuffle now, and I wasn't overly impressed with it myself. I thought Suella was doing a good job, yet she got sacked because I think Richard Sunak was a bit weak in that sense. And also thought he lied a little bit, actually, because he was supposed to be a change candidate, and yet he's brought back David Cameron, who was a former prime minister. Absolutely. I disagree with you about Suella Braverman, though. I cannot agree that she did a good job because she didn't do anything. Yeah, but is that her fault or is that because she weren't allowed to do anything? Probably a bit of both. I think it's more of the latter. She's come out and criticised Richie Sunak very heavily in the last week. She can criticise him all she wants. The Conservative Party are going to be wiped out so badly at the next election. She isn't going to get a sniff of power. Oh, well, we'll just have to wait and see. We've got the Alton Statement this week, so if there's anything interesting or good that gets announced in that, maybe Richie Sunak can claw back some support. We're talking fractions of a percent, I think, at this stage. I think you're probably right, but like I say, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. I do honestly believe that we are going to lose the election, but I'm still crossing my fingers that support can be clawed back. But I think Reform UK could potentially split a lot of the Conservative votes. They've seen their polling ratings climb very fast and they seem to be constantly climbing, which they have been doing in the last few weeks. And if they keep climbing, then they're going to take a lot of the Conservative votes and let uh, Labour in in a lot of seats. I said to you on WhatsApp, and I'm willing to put it here on the record of the podcast, Reform have potential to do very, very well. If they played a perfect game between now and an election, I honestly think they could overtake the Conservatives. So do you think they could win more seats than the Conservative party? (sighs) I see, I just said that, but then thinking about it, (laughs) no. I think that they could beat the Lib Dems and get on the heels of the Conservative Party. Mm. Maybe they could. I'm picturing a situation where everything goes right for reform. Say Nigel Farage pulls an absolute blinder on I'm a Celebrity, and he starts that tomorrow, by the way, and becomes infinitely popular, a man of the people, everyone loves him, and then he goes out of there, Richard Tice either makes him the leader of Freeform... Yeah, unless he steps down himself, it depends whether he steps down to allow that to happen. Or gives him a very senior position, and then they absolutely cane the campaigning and hit every mark there they could do it there's potential there a third party could get in ahead of the tories i think they've done so badly these last 12 years it could happen especially if this economic improvement we're seeing is just a false positive Because what it seems is that there seems to be more division in the Conservatives and the Labour Party and much less division in the Reform Party because they all seem to have the same views in the Reform UK anyway, don't they? They're one to watch, that is for sure, and I'll be looking forward to seeing how they do in the debates and what their manifesto and campaign is in the upcoming months. But do you think they're a major threat to the main political parties with the way that they're going about things and speaking common sense? No, not yet. But do you think that's mostly because they're doing things wrong or do you think that's mostly because the mainstream media is just not covering Reform UK? It's the media coverage, yeah, at this stage. 
but eventually they're going to become impossible to ignore. Yeah, and if that happens and the media start covering them, then they could potentially, maybe not this election, but if they keep at it and don't step down, they could potentially end up becoming a big political party in some years to come. A viable opposition. That would be nice for us to get away from the binary of the Labour-Conservative two-party system. Well, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But talking about threats, have you got some news that's happening in Ukraine? We haven't visited this for a bit. Yeah, going back to war and unpleasantness, sadly. Ukraine has entered the news a little bit this week. I'm glad it hasn't been completely forgotten about. That war is still going on. And it's been in the news in recent days because of draft dodging, which is a phrase I have some issues with that I'll talk about later. Since the onset of the Ukrainian war, nearly 20,000 men have fled the country to evade military conscription, with some resorting to dangerous methods like swimming rivers. An additional 21,000 attempted to flee, but were caught by Ukrainian authorities. Despite restrictions imposed after Russia's invasion, data obtained by the BBC indicates daily escapes. Reasons for fleeing vary, including joining family abroad or pursuing economic opportunities. Between February 22 and August 23, over 19,000 men illegally crossed into neighbouring countries. Methods of escape included walking, swimming, using false paperwork. President Zelensky criticised corruption in military conscription decisions, leading to a surge in exemptions. While the escape numbers are significant, a parliamentary representative noted minimal impact on Ukraine's war effort. The total number of fleeing men may impact Ukraine's army replenishment, but official military size figures are undisclosed, with estimates of the death toll varying. The defence minister stated... There are over 800,000 individuals in the Ukrainian armed forces. Draft dodgers, Adam, what do you think? I don't think that's necessarily the right term to use, but you said they were fleeing Ukraine there, and I don't blame them, to be honest. If there's better employment opportunities elsewhere because there's just a silly war going on, people are bound to leave, aren't they? And they're going to go with their family to other countries. It seems that we feel the same way. I think conscription is one step away from slavery. To be honest, you are forcing someone to work, forcing someone to potentially give their life, and it's appalling and good on these men who want to avoid it. I would be doing exactly the same. Yeah, because if there were no people in the war-torn countries, then there wouldn't be any deaths either, would there? And anyone who's going to run from the draft because they're so scared of war, which is perfectly reasonable, is going to be a liability out there anyway. It takes a special sort of person to be a soldier. I have full respect for anyone who is a soldier and who does that because I could not do it for sure. I'm not made of the right stuff, which is why I'd run. Yeah, I'd probably do the same, to be honest. I'd probably leave rather than fight. I'm happy to help my country however I can, but fighting for it would just be a waste of everyone's time. Yeah, I agree, and that's why people leave. But then, obviously, the only problem is, is it puts a strain on the nearby countries then, doesn't it? Because 
then they have to deal with the influx of people that are constantly coming in because people are running away scared. And then obviously they have to get housing and food and water for everyone. And Ukraine will lose strength overall as a country because they're losing good people from their civilian population. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's not good news, but like I say, yeah, I can't blame people running away from war. I'm generally on Ukraine's side for this war. I think the way Russia invaded them and are trying to take their country from them is appalling, but I can't support conscription from Vladimir Zelensky either. No, but like I say, again, he has the right to defend himself. I guess we got to play it fair and, yeah. But does he have the right to force people to fight for him? Well, that's true. I guess he doesn't and people don't want to fight, then they have to leave the country, I guess. And it's a shame that they are under such strong threat for doing that. Yeah. I think it once again shows that in war, when the chips are down, often it's not... A binary choice often it's not good versus evil there are shades of gray on either side it's very nuanced and you have to be very careful about these things and that's why whenever there's war there's always massive refugee crisis as well and i hope other countries can help and i know britain does its bit and i'm very proud of that and we should only go so far above and beyond though Yes, I agree, because we seem to be going way above and beyond to the point that the Rwanda plan got blocked by the Supreme Court this week. So the UK government is nearing the conclusion of negotiations for a new treaty with Rwanda, aiming to protect asylum seekers from being sent back to their home country. The move comes after the Supreme Court ruled the government's current asylum policy as unlawful. Prime Minister Richie Sunak stated that the treaty, coupled with emergency legislation, aims to establish Rwanda as a safe country. However, challenges are anticipated, especially regarding the legal aspects of declaring a country safe. The controversial plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda, costing at least £140 million, has faced court challenges since its announcement in April 2022. No asylum seekers have been sent and the first planned flight was cancelled in June 2022. Sunak acknowledged potential challenges from the European Court of Human Rights but emphasised his commitment to proceeding with the plan. The legal case involves around the principles of non-refoulement preventing the return of asylum seekers to a country where they could face harm. Concerns persist about Rwanda's commitment to the treaty. Sunak faces pressure within his party on immigration issues and is prepared to take necessary measures, although the extent remains unclear. The government may need to overcome legal obstacles, including changing multiple laws, with emergency legislation being a quicker option. Sunak expressed the desire for flights to Rwanda by next spring, but avoided a commitment before the next general election. The failed immigration policy led to the dismissal of Home Secretary Suella Breverman, who supported it. Labour's Yvette Cooper criticised Sunak for delayed 
action and charities including Oxfam welcomed the court's decision urging alternative asylum policies. The Rwandan government contested the ruling, emphasising its commitment to refugees. The Supreme Court acknowledged Rwanda's good faith but expressed doubts about its practical ability to fulfil assurances promptly. An asylum seeker thanked the judges for their humane decision. What did you think about this? Do you think the Supreme Court were right to block this? Do you think it were wrong? That is a tricky one. I don't know is my full answer there. I hope they've got more information about this than I have. What do you think? Well, I guess they've got to follow the law. And it sounds like Suella already knew it wasn't going to pass. GB News knew it wasn't going to pass. So clearly the government should have sorted things out earlier. And why didn't they announce emergency legislation earlier for this? I mean, it didn't need to be emergency at that point, And it could have just been legislation so that it passed through the courts. It just doesn't make any sense because now... They're having to go through it all over again. It looks like they're not going to get the migrants sent to Rwanda, which means, basically, that this was what annoyed me, because Richie Sunak's been saying, oh, he's going to stop the boats. But it sounds like he knew how to stop them, but he hasn't actually been doing it, which either suggests two things, either that he doesn't want to stop the boats, he wants these migrants to keep coming, or it suggests that he's too weak to do so. Of course they know. We are talking about a government here who locked the entire country down in 2020 based off a few WhatsApp messages. They can implement and do whatever they like if the will is there. And this situation, I don't feel really strongly one way or the other for or against the Rwanda plan, but the failure of the plan itself to be implemented just shows the government up something chronic and it's baffling when you consider that yeah they can they can break bend change the rules when they really really want to yeah and this to me suggests that they want the boats to keep coming because it increases cheap labor increases diversity so that people are less excluded so i think there's a potential for two reasons there as to why they may be wanting these migrants but obviously suella is very very concerned by the sounds of it sounds like she wants them stopped but she weren't able to do so i'm brought to mind of a scene from an old political comedy called the new statesman where a very corrupt eu minister forms his own political party without being a member of parliament and wins by a landslide and one of the advisors says to him you know you can't become prime minister you've got to be a member of parliament and rick mail just says can't and then the queen calls him up and summons him to the palace and sometimes to be a strong government you've got to do that you've got to just say no i'm doing it other countries seem to manage to be able to do what they want to do And our government managed to do what they wanted to do. I'm sorry to go back to COVID, but in 2018, if you'd have said the government are going to keep everyone in their homes for three months, everyone would have said they can't do that. And our government turned around and said, can't! Yes, we can! And they did it! But Um, did the government want to do that? Or did they get pressure from all the scientists, all the medics, and they felt like there was strong public support for that because people were frightened of the virus? 
Oh, they wanted the lockdown. They wanted it because they've got stakes in pharmaceutical companies. And this is what I'm saying. When they have a stake in it, when they want it badly enough, it happens. But the leaked WhatsApp messages suggest otherwise, suggests that Boris Johnson didn't want the lockdown and it suggests that Matt Hancock didn't want the lockdown, but they felt pressured to do so by the scientists. That's what the leaked WhatsApp messages show. Because... They were weak. So, it's not necessarily just because they've got stakes in these pharmaceutical companies, but it suggests, yeah, that they were weak, and it suggests that that weakness is what's affecting the way the government's been run. It's certainly affecting the Rwanda plan. Probably, I, yeah. It is the closest thing that any political party has come up with to a solution to the migration crisis, though. At the moment, it's the only plan they've got, and I'm hoping that other political parties can come up with something better. Because what's Labour's plan on this? I haven't got a diddly squat. So if they haven't got a plan, then what are they going to actually do? Because all I've heard from Labour is that they're going to open up safe and legal routes, which will actually encourage more people to come across. And if they do that, how will we be able to cope with the large influx of people? We'll cope just how we are coping now. Yeah, but the influx will be even bigger than what it is at the moment. Yeah, and we may see more tensions, more problems. It's not a good outlook. No, it's not. But something which is probably a bit more light-hearted, and it, but it's not necessarily good news, but I guess it's the government trying to promote itself and make it so that people feel that they're not working for other people. So long-term unemployed benefit claimants may face work experience placements after 18 months of joblessness, risking benefit loss if they refuse according to government plans. Critics, including Charity Mind, argue that sanctions worsen mental health. The proposals requiring parliamentary approval targets those on standard universal credit after six months of non-compliance their claims close labor pledges 1.1 billion pounds to reduce nhs waiting lists the treasury links increased unemployment to the pandemic with 300,000 unemployed for over a year mind criticizes sanctions citing their ineffectiveness and harm to mental health chancellor jeremy hunt emphasizes help and consequences for non-compliance while the government's back to work plan includes career support and stricter sanctions for non-compliance critics claim the focus is on penalisation rather than assistance. Labour's plan aims to cut NHS waiting lists by addressing non-DOM status and reallocating funds. What did you make of this news when this broke earlier this week, Roger? I think what's important is that people show they are willing to work and trying to better themselves. I think what we should desperately avoid and sanction if appropriate is people who are what's called neat not in education employment or training 
Yeah, and that's kind of what it suggests. And if the refuse work experience, then obviously, yeah, they risk losing the benefits. But there's been threats made about this time and time again, and it's never happened, doesn't there? Well, there does need to be allowance for people who are genuinely ill as well. I wish that they would assess the ones who claim to be ill as thoroughly as they assess disabled people for PIP. Yeah, we're talking about obviously unemployed here, so we're not talking about people with disabilities that can't work. We're talking about people that are on unemployment benefits, facing the sanctions and risk losing the benefits. So do you think that we should be trying to sanction them if they're just not interested in working? Absolutely. I think work should be one of the most important things that people should aspire to. That and raising children, of course, because you need to think about mothers as well and fathers who wish to raise their children. Yeah, and obviously it puts a burden on everyone else because practically everyone else who pays into the tax system is basically paying for people that are receiving these benefits. And I do think if you have kids, then you should take responsibility and pay for them. But at the same time, you don't want them kids to suffer. And I think all people in this country should be given a basic level of dignity. Some, you know, measure of food to eat and some sort of roof over their head. Yeah, but 18 months is plenty of time to find work though, isn't it? It is, but if you then completely cut them off, they're just going to be on the streets and that's just going to be a detriment to everyone. Or they're going to turn to crime, which is a detriment to everyone. So it's a difficult balancing act. Right now, I think there's definitely room for the sanctions to tighten up. Yep, I agree. And yeah, I think I agree with the government's policy on this one. I think it's a policy in the right direction. I understand that people want a safety net, but like I say, if you really want work, you can find work in less than 18 months easily. 18 months is enough time to find work, regardless of where you live. Well, there's going to be about 200 or so Tory MPs looking for work in the next 18 months as well. Probably, yeah. Are they going to be actually that bothered? Because a lot of them are quite old. A lot of them will be retiring anyway after they lose their seats, won't they? But the fact that we won't have this government in anymore means this plan probably won't get anywhere anyway. That's true, yeah, probably won't. But it does sound like a good plan, I'm sure. It's probably much easier for them to find work because they can just come on to a TV channel like GB News, for example. Oh, but a lot of GB News' new stuff is not very good. Have you watched The Dinosaur Hour with John Cleese, Adam? No, I haven't watched that, but yeah, there are a few programmes that are not the best don't it's absolutely awful and a lot of their new stuff and their newer presenters just aren't good but they've got some staple presenters on there that are really entertaining fair enough but like i say yeah they do have a lot of politicians presenting the news do you think that's a good way to run a channel it depends because often people who are skilled in politics are not so skilled for entertaining people yeah But if someone's interested in news and politics, which GB News is mostly a politics channel, then people surely want to hear what those politicians think. Yes, but people aren't going to listen to someone else's opinion for very long if they're not entertained. Yeah, I agree, that's true. But yeah, I quite enjoy watching some of the news. And do you think Nigel Farage is entertaining? Yes, that's why he's on I'm a Celebrity as well. 
Probably, yeah, because he's good at both. He's good at being entertaining and he's also good at presenting the news. And I think that's more important than ever these days because we do seem to be having an uptake, especially in the Western world, of famous people entering politics. Look at America. Trump, Schwarzenegger. But Nigel Farage, he gained his fame by being in politics. He was leader of the UKIP party before he was GB News presenter. Yeah, and I do wonder if he could have done it in the opposite order as well. I mean, we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, but like I say, yeah, he was a politician, but like I say, he's very entertaining as well. So, yeah, I can understand why people watch his show. But you've got some more light-hearted news we like to talk about Elon Musk on here. I just wanted to make a final concluding yeah. point for that one, that is, I hope that we can find some politicians who are talented enough to achieve something beyond expanding their own pockets. Yeah, fingers crossed that we can. And another famous guy with big pockets is our friend Elon Musk, who's got money, I said to you earlier today, to wipe his tears away with $100 bills because he's had another go at launching one of his little rockets today. And guess what? It failed. It don't work, non. Rocket don't work, non. Of course, they've tried to put a positive spin on it. SpaceX has reported significant progress in the development of its Starship rocket, which is now rotting at the bottom of the sea, after a second test flight from Texas. The 120-metre-tall vehicle demonstrated improvements compared to its explosive debut in April, reaching greater heights despite a premature termination due to technical issues. NASA Chief Bill Nelson praised SpaceX's efforts, emphasising the learning opportunities for the test. The goal was for the uncrewed Starship to make a near-complete revolution around Earth, but the mission was terminated eight minutes after takeoff. Now, the summary here doesn't say much about what happened as you watched it, but what did happen is the rocket took off, everything looked to be going really, really well, Everyone was happy. You could hear cheering on SpaceX's feed. Then the separation happened. Lots and lots of cheering. And then about a minute after the separation happened, boom, it all blew up because the computers on board blew it up because they'd lost contact with mission control. Apparently, despite this setback, the test marked substantial advancements with improvements noted by both SpaceX and external experts. The ultimate aim of the Starship project is to create a fully reusable and revolutionary rocket system, significantly lowering the cost of space activity and supporting ambitions for Mars exploration and the Starlink Internet Satellite Project. They say you can learn a lot from failure, Adam, but do you think we're any closer to getting to Mars? Probably not. Like I said, they're going to have to make a whole new rocket now and it's failed, this one. So it's a very big task creating these rockets and they don't seem to be very good at it, do they? It would be much better to focus on a task like bringing peace in the Middle East or solving world hunger. And I honestly think those are much easier and more worthwhile aims than trying to ponce about getting to Mars. Yep, I agree. They do seem to be much more worthwhile but like i say if they've got money to burn this way they're gonna do it anyway aren't they and it is burning money silly men on their own silly little crusade and it's such a 
absolute waste. Yeah. There are big achievements happening in the world of space. I mean, look at the images the James Webb Space Telescope are producing and the information we're getting from that. It's absolutely staggering. And that's clearly money well spent. This isn't. It's not working. The rockets keep blowing up. SpaceX haven't even managed to send a human into space yet. And it will be a long time before they do. They will have to do thousands of successful rocket launches before they find a person daft enough to strap themselves into one of these things. Yep, they will. And even then, there's no guarantee it's going to work. Yep, Um, it doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. So, like I say, yeah, but people have been into space before. People have been on the moon, so it can happen. But every time SpaceX launch a rocket and it blows up, they're just setting their own movement back a little bit and maybe they're rushing too much. Maybe they should focus on other things and what they're good at and stop wasting time, resources and money. Yeah. I mean, it's Elon's money. He can do with it what he likes, but that's my advice to him. Yep, and I agree. I think you've made some sensible conclusions there. You've hit the nail on the head, if uh, that's the right term to use. Because, like I say, it is his money, but it's not very sensible. Well, Elon, if you do want more advice from us, then email us at breakthenewspod at gmail.com. If you've got time to faff around with Rocket, surely you've got time to email Adam and me. Yep, I'm sure he has. And before we end this podcast, I've just found some breaking news. And it is a latest opinion poll, and this one's also after Labour's seaside vote, well, mostly, I think, because the field work was on the 15th to the 17th, and it's by opinion. And Labour's lead is actually reduced to 13 points, so that confirms the poll that I saw last night. And Labour has gone from 43 points to 40. Conservatives have gone from 26 to 27 in this one and Lib Dems have gone from 11% to 12 and SNP are at 3% on no change Greens are up 1% from 5 to 6 and Reform are at 9% with no change so what do you make of that Roger? A week's a long time in politics and between now and the next election is virtually an eternity anything could happen so all we think- can do do you think the Conservatives can claw this back then? Anything's possible. They're only but... 13 points that are behind, according to this poll. I'll say it again. Anything's possible, but I definitely wouldn't bet on it. Yeah. I could win the lottery tomorrow, but it's not very likely going to happen. And I want to explain why the lead is so much shorter with opinion, because they've done this because they've basically used some metrics and they think that a lot of the people that wouldn't vote, they think that by the time the election comes back, they think a lot of them will go back to Conservatives. I admire your optimism, Adam. But that's that's what the poll has actually done, and this is actually a poll for The Guardian as well. I remember the polls being absolutely embarrassed in the last general election, so... In the last Even one, then you can't 2019, tell. 2019, we'll predict a Conservative no. landslide. It wasn't on a national scale. They might have thought that in Bradford, but they didn't think that nationally. People thought Conservatives were going to win, and what the polling suggested. So the poll's got the 2019 
election pretty much spot on. Lead was actually shorter than what the polls predicted, but only very slightly. My impression of the polls then was that everyone was saying, oh, it's neck and neck, it could go either way, but I'll stand corrected if you say so. Well, obviously the people were unsure because... In the 2017, people thought, oh, Theresa May will win a landslide, but she didn't. So they didn't know whether that had happened again and the polls had been wrong. So there were some doubts, but it was expected that he would win. Well, anything could happen between now and the next election. I just wonder when it's going to be. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, and I'm sure we'll be covering that. It's probably going to be 2024, maybe 2025 but probably 2024. Well, in the next few weeks, I'm sure you and I will start making plans and getting ready for Christmas and New Year and our shows then, so really looking forward to it. Yeah, and we're probably going to have to change the time when we record them because I'll be working soon, although next week will be fine. We've got a lot of stuff to figure out. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Also, just before we go, please be sure to email us at breakthenewspod at gmail.com and you can also share this with your family and friends so that we can boost the lift in this ship. But it's a goodbye from me. And I want to say thank you to anyone who is listening because Adam and I have had to put, especially in recent weeks, a lot of thought and care into this podcast. It's not a time where you can just go on the internet and say what you like. And we've had to be careful and thoughtful and it's been hard work and anyone who's listening and appreciates that hard work we really appreciate you back so thank you thank you bye-bye